Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. It is almost game day. Man, it feels like the end of the regular season was forever ago, but we are almost to the 27th. I'm Stephen Igo, the host of the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm joined by Brett Hickman, great contributor, also now back in the coaching industry. He's kind enough to take some time on this evening of December 23rd. We're going to break down the Birmingham Bowl matchup between ECU and Coastal. But, Brett, we were reminiscing about the 2007 Hawaii Bowl. I was 15 at the time. (laughs) So I'm 30 now because it was 15 years ago. You uh, were on staff at the Hawaii Bowl. um, And it's hard to believe there's only been one other bowl victory, the Beefo Brady's Bowl, since then. So let's reminisce a little bit. Take us back to that trip. First off, is the Jonathan Williams uh, stealing shoes scandal? Was, was that that trip? And uh, take us through some of the, uh, the the lead up to the game, at least being in Hawaii. Uh, I believe that was the Jonathan Williams uh, first episode in his uh, bowl game. Um, it was three straight games. years, right? I think oh seven oh eight. I don't think I don't think much happened in oh eight, but I'd have to yeah. go back and think about it. We had some other things going on in two thousand eight that that I'll be happy to get into. But yeah, uh, great trip. Obviously, that was actually my senior year, so my last year as a student assistant, and the next year, of course, was a GA. Um, but you know, a lot of fun, obviously I, as a, as a undergraduate and then a graduate assistant, I'd probably say I enjoyed the before Christmas bowls, uh, more, you know, because, you know, obviously recruiting wasn't quite as ramped up as it is now because back then you were really still going with the February signing days, but the coaches would get on the road, uh, the first couple of weeks of December and, it was really just the GAs, the student coaches, and the coordinators there to run practice the first couple of weeks of bowl prep while the while the other assistants were on the road recruiting. And then, you know, by the time exams got done, I, I think we probably practiced two or three days, and then we were on a flight to Hawaii. And, uh, you know, there are worse things than being 20, I guess I was 21 at the time, uh, than getting an all-expense-paid trip to Oahu for the holidays and uh you know, it it was great. You know, we had not played very well in the bowl game the year before. 
and a lot of that was because of how good South Florida was, which that was actually the, uh, I think that was the first Birmingham Bowl, if I if yeah. I recall correctly, what was then known as the Papa John's Bowl. But we came back, and the, the preparation was really good going into that game. Um, and I think the opponent, uh, that was the year after Boise had beaten Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl, you know, the famous hook and ladder and then the Statue of Liberty play. Um, so, you know, they had gotten our attention. They were not as good because they had lost the, the Zabransky kid at quarterback the year before. They had lost a couple of games. You know, Hawaii was actually the, the University of Hawaii was the toast of that league at that point. I'd actually gone undefeated with Colt Brennan and played Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. So I think Boise was 10 and 2. And, uh, you know, had a had a decent week of prep, but I'll be honest. I mean, it was by the time you get on bowl site, you're really just going through your scout team preparations and you know tidying up the game plan because you've been working on the game plan practice probably the three or four days before you left Greenville uh, there toward the middle of December and 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 really played well. Got off to a great start in the game. Uh, I believe we had a couple touchdown lead. It might even got to seventeen or twenty points uh, late in the first half. And then, like good teams do, they made a run, and you know, eventually it was just a little too much. Chris Johnson, and um, you know, they had actually come back to tie the game late, and um, I believe Rob Cass made a big throw, actually put Rob put Rob in the game, and um, yeah, he hit Jamar you know, Bryant, hit Jamar Bryant down the seam, and then Ben Hartman. Uh, ben gets a lot of uh, Ben gets a lot of. Uh, I guess flack historically for uh, the way his career ended with the with the Liberty Bowl loss when he was a senior, but he he made so many big kicks for us through the years, and um, you know that was that was certainly as big a one as he made in that year. I think he had beaten Carolina early in the year, and then you know made kicks to beat Marshall and UCF at at some point in '07 and '08, and of course won that game for us. Uh, and, you know, really probably one of the – Wilson Rayner didn't miss many snaps. He was as good as, as they ever had at East Carolina. But Joe Joe Sloan actually made a terrific hold on that kick. But uh, it was nice. It was nice to get on the red eye after the game and basically sleep the whole way overnight. And I was uh, I was back in Shalot, North Carolina at uh, 6 p.m. the next evening and was home for Christmas after spending – uh, seven or eight days in Hawaii, so great trip. Fifteen years to the day as we record this on the night of December 23rd. Hard to believe. Hard to believe Chris Johnson, I went back and watched the highlight today, he fumbled, and then they were basically y'all were running the clock out. and yep. Four-minute offense. Yeah, he, yep. had, he hadn't fumbled in forever, and it just so happened the ball popped out, guy returned it for a touchdown. But as you said, Cass kind of comes out of nowhere, leads the game-winning drive. Um so, man, that was a great ECU win. Probably one of the best bowl wins in program history over a ranked team. That started the streak of three straight wins because it led the next year of a ranked teams over Virginia Tech and West Virginia. So, great time for ECU football. Brett, will we see another big bowl win for the program? This, You know, I know some have, I don't know, kind of sighed at this bowl game, but I think at the end of the day, now that we're finally on the cusp of the bowl game, it starts to feel more real. I mean, there's such a big delay between the announcement and the game, and now that we're kind of in game week, so to speak, only a couple of days away, it's starting to feel more real, and it's starting to feel like this this could be a very competitive game, and we'll kind of dive into the offense and defensive perspectives 
between Coastal Carolina and ECU. But I want to first start with the obvious. Grayson McCall will play in the game. I think we talked um, earlier this month, right after the announcement, it wasn't clear if he would play. But he has since entered the transfer portal and is going to play, which is pretty uh, pretty rare. Just your thoughts on, A, him playing in the portal. Does that have any mental effect on the team? And then, B, how much better are they with McCall? Well, I mean, he's, he's played a lot of football, and he's played a lot of football at a lot of high levels. Um, you know, I think he's going with, with you know, the school he graduated from. He obviously feels some loyalty to kind of finish what he started with Coastal. Um, it does add a, an extra layer dimension to just see how good not only the team's preparation is, but his own preparation, um, you know, because – Obviously, Coastal's had a lot going on over the course of the last month with with the coaching change and hiring a new coach. Kind of, am I going to play the bowl game? Am I not? I don't know. I, I, I'm sure he's gone out and at least visited a couple other places. If not, he's been on the phone, um, you know, with with Auburn or whoever else it is that's that's trying to get him to you know maybe enroll in their school. So, um. I, Stephen, those are the million dollar questions in today's, in the days foot college football world, December has just gotten out of hand. You know, it feels like it's been a long time because of everything that's happened. I mean, you've got the portal opens, you've got national signing day, which is now, you know, it's bigger in December than it is in February. Now, uh, you add all into that, you know, they've got coaches coming and going. Um, you know, Coastal's mindset is, you know, I think they'll either it'll be galvanizing and it'll bring them all together and they'll play great. Or, you know, I don't know if there's much middle ground. You know, they've just had so much kind of thrown at them the last month of the year. You just you don't you don't know how up they'll be. And if they're not up and East Carolina is, which I, I suspect East Carolina will play well because it's the first chance to play in a bowl game. Uh you know, it's got a chance to, to be a good win for the Pirates. With McCall, I mean, I, I've seen him a lot and just – but not as much as you just because, you know, working the games on, on Saturdays, it's hard to watch a ton of college football because we're there early, yeah. there late. You know, it, to me, it just seems like he's such a great decision maker, quick release, and he just kind of makes that offense go. I mean, obviously he's got talent. He can throw the deep ball, but – he can run a little bit. What makes him so effective? Like, why does he make the, that offense so much better? Well, number one, it's a niche offense, right? I mean, nobody really does. It, it's kind of like a mixture between what Air Force does out of their shotgun, combine all of that with combining all the old school option, triple option, midline option, speed option principles uh, with kind of the modern RPO pre-snap and post-snap stuff. Uh and not only has he been in it in four years at Coastal, it's very similar to what he ran in high school at Porter Ridge um, over in, in Matthews, North Carolina, or Indian Trail, or wherever his hometown is. Um, so, you know, he's a, he's a great decision maker because essentially he's been looking at the same keys and the same reads and been asked to make the same type throws now going on seven or eight years. Uh, so, you know, he's the engine, um, the, that offense, you know, having been around it for three years and defended it every day in practice, uh, really when it was at its core, he reminds me, um, of, of what we have with what his quarterback coach at Coastal has, Willie Corn. Willie was our quarterback at North Greenville, and it was it was very similar. You just you couldn't um, 
you couldn't rattle the guy. And that offense has so many answers pre and post snap that if the right guy can get you in the right play or make the right decision post snap, that it constantly stays ahead of the chains. And it's a frustrating defense. It's a frustrating scheme. Uh, in a sense, because it does churn clock. It, it, you play complementary football, and uh, Grayson's been a big part of, of coastal success. And if he plays well, um, they usually play well on that side of the football. We talked to defensive coordinator Blake Carroll earlier this week, and, and basically I asked you guys have stopped the run so well this year, Coach. Uh, you know, what conversations have been had, what analysis has been done about Eventually, like, you, I don't know, you got to change things or, or do something different just because you're getting gassed through the air so much because teams have essentially stopped running the ball. Well, Coastal is basically a run-first team, although they do throw the ball. But just what is that dynamic like, Brett, if you're if you're Coastal and you see ECU can't really stop the pass, but obviously they want to run the ball. And if you're ECU, you know you can't let them run the ball, but you, you also don't want to get gassed through the air again. So what do you think kind of those conversations are like? Yeah, to me, I mean, Coastal is, you know, in that matter for East Carolina, the defensive staff has got to make a decision on, you know, do we go with kind of who we are, which is run the football play action, uh, you know, option-based team, uh, or do we just say bump it? You know, this is our last rodeo, and they they drop back and they throw it 40 times a game. Uh, you know, you're, you're always going against – I'm just not sure. Like, I think you can see an offense like East Carolina where, you know, this week we know we're not going to run the football, but we think we've got receivers that are good enough to just sit back there and we're going to throw it 50 times a game. Uh, you know, the library and the catalog in in the, the Jamie Chadwell offense just doesn't possess that much drop back passing, right? You know, I would probably venture to say 50 to 60 to 70 percent of their throws are based off of the run game. You know, whether or not it's an RPO attached to a run or whether or not it's a play action attached to a uh, a called pass that's attached to make it look like run as far as they're just being straight up drop back throwing. Um, you know, it's just not an offense that's designed to do that. So uh, that's what I said when the, when the, when the matchup came out, I actually loved it because I'm just not sure that that Coastal um, can just sit back there and just say, we're going to make this a, a, a 50 throws a game type game. So, um, you know, but that's catch 22. You know, I do. I like the fact that our defensive staff has seen that offense a lot, you know, two or three times at North Greenville. Uh, when they were at Lenore Ryan four or five times at the Citadel when those guys were all at Charleston Southern. So um, if there's a group that is – plus you get a little bit extra long prep in bowl games, uh, which always helps. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if the Coastal will be able to surprise and fool um, the ECU defense in terms of – you know, how they get you leveraged in the option game uh, like they would, you know, most of the people on their schedule because of the familiarity of it, of the offense from our defensive staff. The only thing we're missing is uh, Jamie Chadwell versus Mike Houston, right? I, I was yeah. I was really hoping somehow Chadwell would stay and coach the bowl game just to see that rivalry play out. 
Yeah, you know, and there are some things that that go back even to 2010 as the crux of a lot of great coaching rivalries. They started in recruiting, and uh, believe it or not, recruiting gets pretty personal on the Division II level. And I'm sure when it got cross town at Charleston Southern and the Citadel, it got even more heated. But uh, yeah, that would have brought a little bit of extra sauce to the game, no doubt. At least for those of us that are familiar with um, some of those things. And, um, you know, if you, if you just type in uh, the broom that coach uh, Jamie Chadwell brought out after they had beaten the Citadel twice. Um, at when when Coach Houston was at the Citadel once in the regular season and once in the playoffs, that was kind of the tipping point. But it had been festering uh, before that, and um, you know, certainly I, I'm sure they've been recruiting against each other both at Coastal and East Carolina. So uh, recruiting battles and then on field battles, and uh, going to be a lot of staff familiarity even even with Coach Chadwell not coaching the game. Yeah, still a lot of familiarity, and I tell you what, with Chadwell staying in the in the region, going to Liberty, and obviously Mike Houston still at ECU, and you know we'll see how long Coach Houston is at ECU. But I would venture to say these these two guys are going to meet up again at some point in some type of postseason bowl game or something. So I'm ready. For I it. mean, it's it's kind of ironic. I mean, they've just been on both on a similar career track now for you know, what's basically going on about 13 to 15 years, you know, whether or not division two head coaches in the same league slash region division, one double a coaches, not in the same region, but in the same town. And then, um, you know, it, it, it kind of got away when coach Houston went up to James Madison, cause that's more of a mid Atlantic, you know, Maryland DMV, you know, Virginia type deal, but uh, certainly with two schools that are in the Carolinas, uh, Liberty, I know, pretty much gets up and down the southeast. Uh, I don't think the recruiting battles are done. And, and gosh, who knows what college football is going to look like in three or four years where, where you know, both those guys are still going to be in the same spot or who's in what league. Um, you know, it's always just it, life is just constantly changing um, in, in college football right now. So both centers, Brett, it looks like will not play in this game. Obviously, we know Avery Jones for ECU will not. He is transferred to Illinois. Willie Lampkin, who is Coastal's highest uh, graded offensive player outside of Grayson McCall, their center, who's just been a great player for a number of years now, he has transferred or announced his intentions to transfer to North Carolina. And so I'm just curious, just, you know, we, we, we always hear the center as the quarterback of the offensive line. You know, Donnie Kirkpatrick has said Hampton Ergel, who will start, he'll be making his first career start. Um, and basically, they're going to put a lot more protection onus on Holton to make those checks, whereas Avery would kind of help with that process. How big of a deal do you think this is in this football game? And I, I did know that Coastal has a 6'4", 340-pound nose tackle. Uh, yep. Hampton Ergel is pretty big himself. I think 6'6", 300, so he's not going to get – I don't think overwhelmed by size, but so that's a big boy and that's a tough uh, first start. Yeah. Well, outside of the, the, the obvious thing is the, the, the timing of, of the whole offense of both of these teams, you know, who both primarily operate out of the shotgun or the pistol, uh, the snaps have got to be on point for, you know, the, the, the plays to work, for the meshes to work. And, 
Uh, it's it's even more vital, obviously, in what Coastal does because of, you know, the snaps need to be in the proper spot to make sure that the quarterback can get to the running back center mesh because there's so many, you know, either they're reading a defensive tackle or they're reading a defensive end or they're reading a, a safety post-snap in the RPO game. So uh, you got the elements of just making sure, number one, you can snap the football on a dime, and number two, both these teams primarily – um, primarily work out of a three, four front. Now, Coastals is a little bit more traditional, uh, where there's a head up nose and then two defensive ends who line up over the tackle. East Carolina primarily runs from the tight front, which is a head up nose tackle and, you know, two wide three techniques or guys who line up inside of that. But both of them are going to be lined up with a nose tackle straight up on them, uh, the entire game. Um, you know, for ECU, I think the thing that you worry about is is can the guy hold up in pass pro, um, you know, because for better or for worse, our running game has just pretty much been identified by inside zone running. And, you know, if you can control the nose a little bit, that the ball's bounced. And we've really made hay uh, with Keaton or you know, whoever, Marlon or whoever's been in the backfield bouncing that thing out to the wide C-gaps, you still have to be able to control it. I think I worry about it more on East Carolina's standpoint because Coastal does. Um, you know, Chad Staggs has always been a pretty aggressive guy um, in terms of bringing pressure, you know, help making sure that you're sliding the line the right way, making sure that we're declaring uh, the proper linebackers, as you said, um, to make sure that we don't get in a situation where we've got to throw hot all day off of free rushers, um, you know, not to get too much in the weeds of it. But, you know, you don't want to put all of that on the quarterback, you know, for because he needs to be eyeballing, you know, coverages. He needs to be able to see that where the corners are lined up and where the safeties are line, lined up instead of constantly having to check, recheck um, based on, you know, what he's seeing pre-snap. Uh, from a blitz pattern standpoint. So that is a big factor in this game. There's no doubt. Donnie Kirkpatrick said it makes him a little nervous. I'm sure Coastal is also a little nervous on their side as well. On the other side, we'll get into more of ECU's offense versus Coastal's defense. We'll also have our predictions as well at the end of the podcast. You're listening to Hoist the Colors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, back on the Hoisty Colors podcast. Brett, good conversation on what to expect, especially when Coastal's offense is on the field. We talked about the center uh, position as well. This Coastal defense, 
like you said, Chad Stacks, who is familiar with Mike Houston, not only due to their their battles in the past, but also was in the mix for the DC job a couple of years ago when Blake Carroll got it. But aggressive, multiple, uh, maybe not as multiple as Blake Carroll, but still not afraid to bring blitzes and similar numbers. As I'm looking at this, good against the run, vulnerable against the pass, and something Coastal has done pretty well this year is get after the quarterback. The problem for them is Josiah Stewart, their best edge rusher, is or one of their best guys is transferring to Michigan, and then their best corner, Lance Boykin, just announced today that he is going into the port or not the portal. He's going to declare for the NFL draft and will not play in the game. So, two of their top three best defensive players, according to uh, pro football focus will not play in the game. Now they still have some other guys. Adrian Hope uh, is a grades out as a really top notch pass rusher. He's got 37 pressures, seven sacks. Also, Jared Clark, the 6'4", 340 pound nose tackle, grades out as their best guy against the run. So still some pieces. But what have you seen out of this coastal defense this year and, and Coach Stags? Yeah. Uh... You know, coastal fans have been after their defense and their defensive coaches pretty hard this year. Um, they have taken a pretty precipitous drop relative to where they've been the last couple of years from a statistical standpoint. But, uh, Chad's as good of a football coach as I've ever been around, you know, very, very knowledgeable, you know, gets his guys to play hard. I think the one thing that he's always done a great job where, wherever he's been is how, how hard they play with the edge they play with. Um, you know, and they take on his personality being stout against the run. Uh, Skylar McGee, their defensive line coach right now, uh, not really sure what his situation is moving forward after the bowl game. You know, is a great coach when it comes to run, run techniques and obviously getting after the quarterback. You know, he's a guy that I could see, you know, being one of the top defensive line coaches in the country here in the next five or six years. I think he's that good. Um, they they've really struggled in the secondary you know it's just not been a very uh well performing unit uh not just this year but really um two years ago the guy who just got promoted at UCF Addison Williams as the defensive coordinator was their secondary coach and um I mean I'm not sure they've really recovered from losing him now some of that's cuz they lost a lot of guys back there too see so um the proofs and the numbers, you don't know if it's necessarily a coaching deal or a player deficiency deal because I'm not at practice every day. There's no way to tell that. Uh, but they, they've really struggled against the passing game. Uh, to me, it's almost identical when you look at the numbers pre-snap. Does the offensive staff go into it? And do they beat their head against the wall and try to establish the run game early? Um, you know, like they did against Navy, and then you just halt rhythm. I, you know, what I'd rather come out and see is just okay. We're gonna get, we're gonna, we're gonna attack, we're gonna attack, we're gonna attack, and we're gonna make you. We're gonna get the ball out of our hands quick, but we're gonna attack the edges. We're gonna attack the corners. You know, quick games, uh, play action, seam routes. See how much they can hold up against um, any of ECU's receivers, and uh, you know, I. I I think that's the biggest key to the game is just how do we protect against all the blitz pressures that are coming and can we consistently execute in the passing game? Because of course, what that does, it'll soften, soften it up. I think we got to think a little bit backwards, almost like we did early in the year against NC state um, to where we're not just beating our head against the wall and, and, you know, 
basically throw the ball to, to set up the run later on in the game. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, they kind of dodged a bullet on the weather if this game was today or at some point where it's cold and windy, maybe you that that yep. formula doesn't work as well. It looks like it'll be, I think, in the 40s, but pretty calm night. So, I mean, you should be able to throw the football. Um, yep. And Coastal, like you said, I mean, they're giving up 282 uh, through the air per game, similar to what ECU's giving up, and they're holding opponents to 130 on the ground, 3.8 yards per carry. So good against the run, really outside of the ODU game where they got gashed. Um, they've been solid against the run all year. So, I, you know, you would hope ECU goes in. Holton Aylor's last game, C.J. Johnson's playing, Isaiah Winsett's playing. You know, there is no Ryan Jones, but you still have Calhoun. Um, you still got Keith Mitchell playing. So all your weapons are there except Jones, who hasn't really been that involved lately. I just, as long as they can protect and, and, and get the snaps on time and no issues with the snaps, I don't really see Coastal consistently stopping this passing attack. So it'll be interesting to see how Donnie Patrick and company play it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you look at the numbers outside of Boykin, who's not playing in the game, they've got really one cornerback who's grading out decent in coverage. The rest have all struggled, and their safeties are much of the same way. So I think there's going to be – I mean, I think there's just going to be a lot of points scored unless Coastal, you know, churns out yards on the ground and sustains drives and eats up clock. I, I think you're going to see a pretty high-scoring game. Yeah, I mean, I, who knows? I, I think the one thing that – the one variable that I think – I shouldn't say worries me because uh, I have nothing to do with it. But uh, when, you, when you're dealing with a bowl game and you're dealing with – you got an outgoing staff, if Coastal was motivated to play, the game plan could look something totally different. You know, I mean, you got an interim head coach who's not going to be the next head coach. Uh, you've got a staff where half of them got their foot out the door. So, my God, surprise onside kicks, fake punts, uh, coming out and blitzing 80% of the time instead of you prepping for it 30% of the time. I think Coach Houston's got to be wary of, and I have no insider knowledge on that. Um, you know, I had I consistently stayed away from talking because I don't want anybody to think I'm trying to get uh, – uh, Cold War secrets or anything here. I just i i i think you know when you see it in these bowl games, you know a lot of times either you're either uninspired or you just come out and you let everything hang. And um, you know you got to be solid in the kicking game. Don't do anything stupid like I'm watching this guy from Missouri uh, run up and touch this punt. For what the hell reason. is that about, man? That was. Yeah, I you know that's the idiot that play awful. of the night. That's the idiot play of the night so far. We need to the, the pirates need to make sure we don't show up on idiot plays of the night. So, uh, you know, all of those things are variables that I think would cause anybody to be concerned uh, heading into a bowl game. Yeah, looking over coastal special teams real quick. Um, pretty pretty solid. I mean, nothing really jumps off the page that month they did, at much. They do have a kick returner, Matthew McDoom. Great name, by the way. Uh, he returned to kick off for a touchdown against Gardner-Webb earlier this season. Punting game has been solid. Kicking game, uh, Cade Hensley is 8 of 11 on field goals this year with a long of 48. So, um, But they're, they're only averaging 37.6 yards per punt. So, you know, I think it's – you know, we all know ECU's special teams issues throughout the year. They just can't lose the game on special teams. They got to avoid, like you said, 
the idiot plays the big mistakes, make the kicks within 40 yards, make the extra point, and just don't lose the game on special teams, as we've seen happen too many times, Brett. Yeah, not to get you started. (laughs) I'm not going to get started on it. I've I've calmed down over the last couple of weeks, not not watching it. But you know, it's obviously been a bugaboo. I mean, we need to. I I do right now. I think we're favored to win the game. You know, I don't know exactly what the Vegas number is, but I need when I look at all the variables that are involved, this thing has East Carolina win written all over it, in my opinion. So. Don't give them the extra possession. Don't let them get the surprise onside kick. Don't let them, you know, don't muff a punt. Don't get one blocked. You know, those kind of things. Don't throw a pick six on offense. Play a clean game. And if the game is clean on both sides, I think you got to give the advantage to the team that's got, um, you know, more gun or more bullets in the holster, if you will. And I just think even with McCall playing, um, I think there's just been so many distractions with Coastal uh, that that I think you know you'll you'll probably see a, a motivated East Carolina team um, that if we play clean, you know, gonna have a chance to win. All right, key players are looking for as we got a few minutes left in the podcast. Um, for for me, I'll, I'll start on offense. I mean, I'm going to go with the obvious one here and and Holton Aylers, but I feel like. We haven't talked about Holton like at all the last few few weeks. We've talked about Mason Garcia being the future guy. We we barely talked about Holton's game winning drive against Temple because of how bad the defense played and like it's just kind of been lost in the shuffle. Guys played through injury all year. I I, I really think like we haven't you know, we did the storyline going in the senior day and then obviously they played bad on senior day, but we haven't talked about Holton since then. I, I feel like He's going to quietly just go out there and have a big game. And we talked about the opportunity to to maybe exploit the secondary a little bit. I think Holton's got to play his best, and I think he will play his best. Um, not going to make my prediction yet, but I think Holton obviously has to, and I think he will play a big game. Anybody that you're really looking for on offense? Yeah, I just think the whole line's got to give time. You know, because I do think there are matchups that we can exploit and take advantage of out on the edge. So if the offensive line uh, plays well and the quarterback's got a clean pocket, um, you know, he's got a chance to sit back there and 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 uh, pretty good in my opinion. So I think the offensive line's got to be great in uh, pass protection. And then we never really say Keaton Mitchell's a key, but every time he rushes for 100 yards or scores, ECU usually wins. So yep. I feel like that. You know, even though Coastal's defense is pretty good, basically, if you get a big Keaton Mitchell play, you got a good chance to win it for ECU. So feed him the rock Keaton, enough. Keaton Mitchell is kind of one of those guys. And, you know, I, I said we don't need to beat our head against the wall, um, but he's got to touch it enough because if he touches it 10 times, there's a chance that one of them's going to turn into a 40 or 50 yard explosive. And you look at the night, and if he's got 15 or 16 carries and he's got 110 yards, well, they might have done a great job. Uh, on you know all but two of those carries, but you know if he just keeps getting it, eventually it's it's just famine, famine, famine feast, and uh, you know he's got a chance to turn anything he he touches into six points. Defensively, as we always touch on, I mean, there's so many guys who play. It's always hard to to pinpoint one or the other. Um, you know, for me, 
I guess I'll go with Jairo Wilson in that Sam spot. I guess he's more been playing the boundary this year. Um, him and Gerard Stringer in the Sam spot. I just feel like some of those guys are put in conflict a lot when you're playing this type of offense. So I feel like hopefully they have a big game. And Jairo's played extremely well down the stretch this year. Um, I think he's got to have a big game for ECU to, to play well defensively. Well, how about you? Yeah, it's the whole safety triangle, yeah. in my opinion, you know, because this offense puts them in so much conflict. When Do I run the alley and go make a one-on-one tackle on the option game? Or can, do I hold long enough so that I can fall and help on draggers and crossers and post routes and all the things that come with the passing game? So, Jair is involved in that. Whoever's playing the free safety, uh, whoever's playing the boundary safety, you know, whether or not it's Wood or Wilk or uh, whoever the case is uh, on that end, I think it's going to come down to those, the Sam and the two safety spots and how they play. Uh, and, uh, you know, I feel good if that, if that group plays well, I think the, the, the box will play well enough to, to, you know, keep it competitive in the run game. All right, it is prediction time, and Brett, I'll let you start off if you can make a prediction. You you got allegiances to to the staff at Coastal in a way, and obviously you you know a lot of those guys. You went to ECU. I'm not saying you're giving away anything. I'm just saying you, you've got ties to both both teams here. So can you make a prediction is the real question. Are you going to be like Herb Street on college game day? All right, I got no problem picking my alma mater. Uh, you know, I'm gonna pick my school, and I've got the Pirates. I think it's gonna be 45 to 28. I think we play well, and I think we win decisively. I think the number is around seven, eight, maybe nine, somewhere in that range. I haven't checked in the last few days. Um, it was funny because when it was around eight and a half, and McCall announced he was entering the portal, it shot up to 14, and then everybody went back and saw that he said he was playing in the game. And then it shot back down to eight. Um, you know, I just I don't know what to expect in this game, man. Like, I don't know if McCall is going to be like locked in because it's his final ride with Coastal, or like if he's just going to go out there and his team is going to go through the motions. I, I venture to say it'll probably more be the former. I think Coastal will play well. Um, but so much disjointed there. ECUs should have all the motivation. Senior class finally getting a chance to play a bowl game. I feel like I don't have a great read on this game, but I'm I am going to go with ECU, um, just based off the the factors that we've talked about throughout this podcast. I think it is a good matchup for the most part, and uh, I I think I'm going with a little bit of a closer game. I'm going ECU 38, Coastal 31. So I think Coastal covers, but I think the Pirates get their their second bowl win since the Hawaii Bowl. But as long as they come home with a W, I think people will be happy, Brett. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is trying to win the game. Maybe I'm falling to a little bit of recency bias because Coastal did not play well down the stretch. But, uh, you know, is that a factor of getting figured out? Is that a factor of, of Troy being pretty good? They didn't really play good against Old Dominion either, um, you know, or or just too much going on in the locker room with, with Coach Chadwell reportedly in on, on two or three different jobs. I mean, who knows? But – uh, if they show up and play well, it's going to be a tight game. But like I said, you know, it, it, it's totally a coin flip, just kind of a gut hunch that um, the, the Pirates play well and, and pull one out in Birmingham. 
All right, that's going to do it for the Hoist's Colors podcast, and this will be our final pregame podcast uh, before the Birmingham Bowl. Hope everybody listening has a Merry Christmas. Uh, we will probably do a, a postgame podcast either the 29th or the 30th, but we'll see how the next few days uh, after the bowl game unfold. But, Brett, appreciate your insight all year long, and uh, thanks so much for taking some time, and hope you and your family have a Merry Christmas. And Christmas to you, Stephen, and the Pirate Nation. For Brett Hickman, I'm Stephen Igo. That's the Hoist of Colors podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.